G'day Teabaggers, it's Will here. Um, thank you to everyone who came and saw my shows in Adelaide. It was the most fun Adelaide season that I've ever had. I really enjoyed doing the new show. It's still got uh, a lot of growth left in it, but I'm really excited about how it is at the moment. So that's the best place it could possibly be. I start in Brisbane tonight. I had my first night off last night, which was nice, after the 14 shows in a row. Justin Hamilton and I went and saw Queens of the Stone Age and Nine Inch Nails do a double bill. Uh, Brody Dahl's band played as well. It was a fucking amazing night. Thanks to everyone who came and said g'day. It was actually just Justin and I had a brilliant night two of the greatest bands in the world it was um it was really magical and a great thing to do on my night off so I start my Brisbane shows tonight uh they've all pretty much sold out apart from uh, Wednesday and Thursday this week so uh if you want tickets uh Wednesday and Thursday this week there's still some tickets available Otherwise, uh, we might, uh, it will probably be confirmed by the time this goes up uh, because of, you know, shitty hotel internet. I was trying to release a whole bunch of episodes in a row up to the hundredth, but the hotel internet got me in the end. I just didn't have the time. So hopefully this one will go up tonight, which is Tuesday. Uh, and uh, that'll mean that Wednesday and Thursday I have some tickets, but by then we may have announced a uh, extra special uh, late show on Saturday night. Uh, we're trying to do a 10.30 late show on Saturday night uh, because... All the shows are pretty much sold out. So uh, if you're in Brisbane and you want to come and see a drunken late show on Saturday night, that'll be fun. So uh, come along and see that. After that, I hit Melbourne. We start the Melbourne Comedy Festival on the Tuesday. So Tuesday and Wednesday before the festival starts, I will actually be uh, doing shows at the Comedy Theatre. A lot of those Melbourne shows, particularly in the first couple of weeks, are selling out. So if you want to come and see the show in the first couple of weeks, and um, please do, um, uh, then get in quick for the Melbourne shows at the Comedy Theatre. My press night is the first Friday night. So if you want to come along and... Uh, make a bunch of noise on the first Friday night so the press think my show is really good well hopefully they'll think that anyway but you know it's always nice to have a fun audience in uh, for first night so uh, that'd be cool too um, after that I have Sydney Comedy Festival those shows are almost sold out so if you want to come to Sydney get in on that um, I've got Acme Comedy Club in Minneapolis so I've got the Bridgetown Comedy Festival in Portland I still don't know much of the details of those so I'm not going to bang on about it now um, uh, anyway uh, I hope you enjoy this episode with Matt Kirshen this one was actually recorded a couple of months Months ago, I've been sitting on it for a while. It's one of my favourites, and I, I had it up my sleeve. But obviously, we talk about San Francisco and a bunch of things at the end of the episode, so you know, disregard that. Uh, the big hundredth episode is next, and uh, I'm happy to say that my guest for that is Justin Hamilton, and I I really enjoyed doing that episode. So uh, enjoy Matt Kirshen and uh, Justin Hamilton up next. And as always, if you like the show, rate it on iTunes. Uh, that always helps with keeping us up at the top of the rankings, and uh, you know, tell your friends. All right, talk to you soon. The following episode of FOFOP is classified M.A. It contains some coarse language, some nudity, drug references, a sex scene, time travel, terrible Batman impersonations, a Charlie Clausen pronounced Clausen-shaped hole, and mild coarse language. FOFOP advises that the program is not suitable for persons under the age of 15, and minors must be accompanied by an adult guardian or priest. This is John Deke speaking. Everyone relax, this is Tofop. <laughs> Ironically, I'm not relaxed. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Fofop. I'm Will Anderson and uh, guest Charlie Clawson, Matt Kirshen is back. Hello, welcome back, Matt. Hello, it's a pleasure to be back. We're- Three now. Yeah, and it's becoming a regular. Three and three different locations. That's true. Yeah, it's like it's like a travelling dinner. We've done hotel room, we've done lounge, living room, whatever right. it is you want to call it, and now we're outside on the balcony. I know. Overlooking glorious nighttime LA. 
it's it's like one of those things where you know someone gets a new house like they're like and they're in a relationship they're like we're gonna fuck everywhere yeah like we're gonna fuck in the bed and we're gonna fuck on the table so we're fucking while we do this podcast right <laughs> <laughs> what I was gonna say is that um it's kind of sad to me that I will definitely have podcasted in many more places in this apartment than I will have <laughs> had sex. Well, you've only been here for a little bit. I know, but I've podcasted out here. I've podcasted, you know, in the living room. I've podcasted on the lounge. I've podcasted on the roof. Really? Yeah. I mean, I've been a dirty podcaster. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess when it, when you come to a new town, it's much easier just to call up people and just go, hey, do you want to come around for a podcast? Right. You know, you've got to be a bit more subtle about it if you're... Right. Calling someone up for anything else. I mean, that is a good point. And plus, with podcasts, it's normally people I already have like a pre-existing relationship with. Right. So it's essentially it's equivalent of the booty call. So I'm I'm a, I'm a fuck buddy. Right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's been a late night call. What are you doing tonight? Do you have a free right. hour? I'm not doing anything else. And to be honest, <laughs> I've not podcasted yet this week, so I could kind of get just get it out of my system. It's kind of nice. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't yeah. mean that this has to be like a partnership that we have to podcast together all the time. This can just be no, like No, and a, I'm not going to get jealous if I see you podcasting with anyone else. It's a podcast of convenience. You know <laughs> I podcast with other people. I do. I know. Like, and you, and when and you, you know got my podcast. I got my, right. own, I got my own podcast. I've got like, that's a right. long-term thing. Yeah. That's I mean, my main podcast. You've been doing that for a long time. Yeah. I mean, we both came into this with pre-existing podcast relationships <laughs> and I think that's the best way it is. when both the people have as much to lose <laughs> <laughs> everything's on the table we know where we stand <laughs> the table that you fucked on but uh, also did a podcast on yeah I, I've never been a, a, a fucking all places person anyway I, is that like a thing that you know when you're in a relationship have you been one of those people that's like I've got to have sex all I've, I've just got to no, no I don't yeah, I I think because that's a thing, isn't it? Am it I making thing, that up? I that's think, a thing, I think. But that feels like it does feel a bit to me like someone just trying to crowbar excitement into a dull sex life. Right, it's a good point. Like it, is, it feel like the sex should be good enough by itself. But like you know, if you know, if you're in the kitchen and the mood takes you or whatever, then fine, cool. Right. But even when that's happened to me, I've always gone like, should we go to the bed now? Because my knees won't hurt if we're there. Right. Like, or just on my back or whatever. And I won't get we could... hot oil on my face <laughs> yeah, exactly. from the thing I was actually doing in the kitchen. <laughs> right. Yeah, I, I guess that's a good point. I mean, maybe you get to the point where you want to prepare a snack while you're in the act. Right, like, well, that's just efficiency. Yeah, you want to eat immediately after and you're like, yeah. well, the only way I can do that and eat something fresh and healthy <laughs> is to cook while we fuck. It's critical path analysis. I don't know if you ever did that in... School. No, what is, what is that? What does that mean? So, I like uh, it already, though. Remember, we I mean, did that in maths when we, when we were at school. I don't what remember you, a lot about maths. What, what I, think, I think what it ended up working, what you do is you you make a little diagram of little, like, a flowchart, but a flowchart with branches, and you work it out on, like, this takes six minutes, this takes eight minutes, but you can't do this before this, and these two need to be done before this. So you draw them all out like that. Oh. And then the longest line from start to finish is like the minimum amount of time that you can do it in oh so it's like one of those things where you're like oh well so here's the so thing you're like you're optimizing like, everything okay so i want to eat immediately after we're done and i'm yeah. making so you factor in like and, I, and i'm making risotto yeah exactly <laughs> so it's like, so like well the, the rice has to soak for this amount of time right so that's foreplay but we're going to need this amount of foreplay at the same right, time that's good and then and plus you won't mind occasionally i can make an orgasm in about six minutes yes yeah, so i have write to that check down. the rice every six minutes so that's good yeah and then you write down like how long it's going to take to like shave the cheese or prepare the prepare <laughs> the vegetables just cheese then yeah. i didn't really, i was like wow is that an important yeah. part of it <laughs> I would have thought on the night where you're having a quickie. Oh, in the you kitchen, don't know what I mean like... by cheese in this class. <laughs> <laughs> 
that's how you, they've ended up in the kitchen in the first place. We get He's any- come home with an obscure sexual move. I'd like you to shave my cheese. And she's like, well. All right, I'll get like, the grater. I'll get- she's, she's been through this before. This is just another fad. <laughs> yeah, this I, is going to be like the salad spinner all over again. I, I, I don't know if... Um, I, okay, speaking of salad spinners, this is a bit of a weird left turn, but you know that's yep. okay. Because uh, you texted me um, uh, t- tonight because you were coming over to the apartment. I did. And you're... Uh, what are you doing? Are you cleaning, are you cleaning out the cupboards? Is well, that what's my, going on? Oh, what's no, going on? Uh, I texted you because my girlfriend's having a bit of a clear out in her kitchen. She's oh, got that's some what's happening. superfluous kitchen, kitchen equipment. equipment. And I know you're st- setting up a new home over here. So the kind of stuff that takes a while to buy... Right, but what I enjoyed was that often, like, I looked at the stuff and I was like, yeah, this is superfluous stuff. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> there, it was a list of things that you don't know. There are a few little things on there that are nice right, to have. but that's the, the interesting the thing. The salad spinner was definitely superfluous. Right, so that's what I was about to ask you. What on that list do you think is the most superfluous thing that I, you I'd sent me? I'd have to look at the list again. Well, if you can bring it up. I can bring up. Can... You sent me through, like, it was a list of about six or seven things. and There was one that I even left off. And that is uh, the one I left off is the most superfluous by a long way. Well, by the very nature that you left it off. Yeah. I mean, it, it so can the, be nothing but superfluous. So the one thing she, the one, one of the things she's leave that she's throwing out. Yes. On account of never having used it. Yes. Is a bagel slicer. Oh, a knife. Well, well <laughs> <laughs> here's the thing, Will. You've probably been slicing a bagel with knives like like a moron. Like a moron, like, <laughs> like an idiot. Fuck it. Yeah. And you're probably. I, I imagine well, your bagels, they, they're going to be off-centre. They're going to go at a slight slope. Not really. <laughs> they mostly, if you concentrate, go straight through. Well, it's that's bagel. Con- concentration. Right. So, so what this thing is, like this really is one of these things that I don't know why she has it in the kitchen, but I reckon at some point someone advertised it on late night TV. Right. This looks like a late night TV drunken purchase that maybe even a former housemate has just left in the there. Maybe it's for fucking. I'm being generous to. Like mate. I mean, as in, like if you're gonna fuck, you can't you can't be holding a knife. Well, let what me, you need is a bagel slicer. Well, maybe, but this is the kind of thing as well you might not want too near you when you're fucking. Oh yeah, it's a good because point. No, that's a good what point. it basically looks like is a mini bread based guillotine. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> This thing, what you do is you you sort of you drop you drop the bagel in like vertically, right, and it gets held in place, All right, and then this guillotine like blade, which is which is V shaped, uh-huh. uh huh, with serrated edges, you just push down into the bagel, and then you. End I up mean, with- that does seem much more efficient than all the. Hard work cutting a bagel with a knife. It does. I'm sure it does, and I'm sure if you're. A regular bagel cutter. Yeah. If, say... You know where I think I've seen one of these before? And where it is actually useful is in a hotel buffet breakfast oh, yeah. next to the toast section. Okay, sure. So like you're like, okay, well, that's somewhere where they're going to be... There's going to be a lot of people slicing bagels on a daily basis. This is going to get use. It can be there. Is it one of those things where... Like it, it seems exciting because it's in a place like that. Much like that toaster that you put like the bread on and it <laughs> oh, goes yeah, through the on the little like, little conveyor belt. Like right. I've won a prize. Oh my god, <laughs> we've we've all won terrible toast. <laughs> we've all been using this contraption. We've all won run toast of exactly the same level of burnt. It's like I, I don't understand how if those machines are made specifically to make toast because I assume <laughs> is that that's what they're made that's for. That's exactly right? what they're made for. How have they, when they're in the factory and they're like, well, we've made this thing uh, that you can make toast, and, and it makes it continuously, so you don't have to just sit and wait right. for one 
like four bits of time to make to pop up. Oh, well, that's a great idea. So you put a piece of bread in and in the time it takes to go through that thing, it cooks perfectly as a piece of toast. That's exactly it. No, no, that's not what happens. <laughs> that's not what happens at all. What? Oh, well, maybe it comes out raw. Oh, well, that's fine. Well, maybe what you need to do is put it back in again. Is it two times through? Oh, no, that'll burn it. <laughs> Isn't? Don't you think? I, yeah, you can. Adju- I think you can adjust. Like, right, but the well, why speed are they setting it? it through, but- why in everywhere I go <laughs> are they setting it to not toasted? Who yes. <laughs> is like? Is it a public liability? Just warmed. Just <laughs> slightly warm bread. I don't. I, I remember when I when I first saw one of them uh, on a family trip when I was probably about six or seven. I was eating a substantially larger amount of toast than I would have done otherwise because right. it was about the most exciting thing ever. Oh, my God. Like, I mean, don't get me wrong. The visual I mean, of this it is, is spectacular. Like, this is the future. Yeah. Uh, but that's what I'm saying. Like, it's like one of those things where you see that you go, I, I could get one of those in my house. Yeah. I've got an apartment. Imagine if I walked in here today. <laughs> that was just... You walked in and, I, and like, you were like, uh, I'm making you a cup of tea. And I, like, I chose what sort of kettle I would get. Like, for example, I have a kettle that heats. It takes a bit longer to heat you up. you got one of the stovetop ones. It's a stovetop kettle. Because I like a stovetop kettle. I made that choice. Because See, they I, annoy me. As a, right. As and a that's fine. tea drinker, I prefer like the speedy. But you can't even get quick electric kettles in America. I don't know whether it's because it's the lower voltage or they just don't drink as much tea. But when I went back to London and stayed at my folks over Christmas, I was astounded by the difference. Like it's, This is about the most banal observation I'm ever going to make on the show, <laughs> I hope. But I did go, oh, shit, that boils quickly. I was like, the future. This is the future. No, but I, I do understand what you mean by that. And certainly I, I get – I've made a choice of – You've uh, gone for style I've gone for style over convenience yeah. and practicality. I have. And I make a lot of – like this is about my fifth cup of tea today. Right. So it's like it's a pain in the ass for me. But I enjoy it still. I like the – You like the process. I like the process. You like the whistle. I do. I enjoy the whistle. It doesn't whistle as, as well as I would like, to be honest with you. Um but I, I could have just bought one of those toasters. If yep. I came in here tonight, if you came in here tonight and you saw me, I would, and I would be offering you a bit of toast, by yeah. the way, because... Or if I brought it as a gift, like a housewarming <laughs> gift. <laughs> Look what I found. That a hotel be, was going out of business. Because that would be the only explanation. Here's <laughs> what I found. It would never be something that you bought. Like, I don't even know where you'd buy that. Here's something like, I stumbled that, upon. I don't think you could even buy that in the kind of places that sell kitchen supplies for houses. Like it's like that's a that's I've never a catering seen one. supply. Yeah, place. I've never seen one. I've never walked into a place and in those places that are crossovers in between like catering and just what a normal person would have. Yeah. And even in one of those places, I've never seen <laughs> never one seen of those toasters. Where do they get them? Because they're terrible <laughs> and no one wants them. <laughs> it was just like heaving my way up the stairs to your apartment. <laughs> it's like you're. Don't thank me now. No, or ever. <laughs> when you have your first slightly warm bread. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so, did you find the list of what the things so were? So, I got the list. Yep. Here's the things. Okay. So, a clothes iron. Right. So, I have a clothes iron. You, you, so got, you, got, yep. you got an iron already. So, I had that. Yep. Um, a salad spinner. So, you think that's the most superfluous? We'll get to that at the end. I'm, I'm not... Um, I don't know. Um. A coffee maker, like a coffee maker. So handy. I have a coffee maker. You got one of those yep. already, and that's handy. I'm going to say that's handy, and yeah. I have one. That's handy. I put that with iron as well as two things that are useful to have in a house. But right. you, you already have. You yeah, got I cupboard. have both those things. Uh, I've not used the iron, but I had someone stay here who used it. Right. So a, v- a veg, a veg slash rice steamer. Okay, so that I don't have. Yeah. But I'm not really a rice steamer sort of guy. Okay. I have like a saucepan. I was kind of I mean, like, I thought, you know, I kind of thought, you know, you're you're. You're a veggie. So I thought about it. 
when when you when you sent that to me, I was like, I don't have one of those, and the reason is I don't need one. But yeah. if I could have a free one, would I enjoy would having you one? Go, or would it just sit at the back of a cupboard like it sat at her cupboard? For and a I discovered, I, I decided that would be the case. And then the other one, I don't know if this picture came through as well. It did. It did come through. But yeah, one of those milkshake maker blending machines. Yeah. And it's and it's all like, you know, old. Oldie style it's green, old, like vintage, yeah. vintage green vintage. style. Looks like looks like a nineteen fifties. Looks like something you get like in a nineteen fifties malt shop, right? Where a guy in a white coat would serve it to you, right? And then tussle your hair, right? I thought I'd have to buy extra things. I think I'd have to get a tin glass. You, you know, might. like there was like <laughs> you couldn't just have that by itself. That was a whole range of investments. That was. I'd right. have to start drinking more milkshakes, and I'm lactose intolerant. Right. And so that would be a really terrible idea. <laughs> but I'd be just be doing it because I liked how cool the milkshake maker was. Um, I think on that list, easily the most superfluous of all those things is a salad spinner. I have a salad spinner. That's the thing. And you that actually have one. I have one. <laughs> Like I think I and I agree, but there, I I don't know why I have not used it yet. I have not spun any salad. I've never used a salad spinner in my life. I use it a lot at home. We yeah. have a salad spinner in Australia, and I if I if my responsibility is salad, the salad spinner will happen because I like to wash my lettuce. Yeah. I'm a lettuce washer, and then your salad spinner is your most effective way to dry that lettuce yeah. to salad quality. You are skeptical about that? No, no, I think that I think that makes sense, and you could you dry other things off in there. You can like. Swimming trunks and that kind of thing. I don't, but you could, I suppose. <laughs> I love that. I love when you go to like a gym or a pool and they've got like the automatic trunk. Have you seen like the trunk spin dryer things? No. You must have seen them. What, what are they? So hang on. Are they just like tiny you might have, spin dryers? Yeah. You might well have been in a pool that has one and just not even noticed it. I, I don't know if we have those in Australia. I'm sure you do. Well, we may. I don't really swim. I have a pool at my house. So <laughs> there we go. People know that who listen right. to this podcast already because I tried to complain about it one day and everyone was like, fuck off. You've got a pool. As soon as you have a pool, you're not allowed to complain <laughs> about having a pool or anything else. I'm like, yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Fair point. No, I get it. Um, so yeah, they're, they, you find them sometimes in the change rooms of gyms and that kind of thing and swimming pools. And they're, they're normally like they're, they're built into the wall. They're about, I'd say, a foot, like about half a meter high. And you just drop your trunks and or your swimmers in the top, and you close the lid and you push it down, and it just spins for about ten seconds. And when you take it out, they're not completely dry, but like dry, like just slightly damp, so you can take them home without them getting all your stuff wet. And I don't think they do have those in Australia, and I will tell you why. Because on day one, there would be an accident when some guy stuck his cock in it. <laughs> There would be a cock-related accident. In fact, maybe they did try them. Yeah. And 30 seconds into the experiment, the guy who had installed them already had his <laughs> cock in them. And he was the one who'd just given them a speech about the one thing you can't do <laughs> is stick your you cock in them. Now, I know it's tempting. <laughs> you see, that's right there. And my cock, as you can see, is here at the same height. But if I were to place it just here, you'll see... Oh, shit. <laughs> I've done it again. Oh... Oh no, that's why we can't have lions either. <laughs> uh, I saw a guy blow dry his balls. Um, I was in. I've seen that as well. Yeah, I was. I've only ever seen it once. I was in Italy, um, and I uh, went to the gym. In... Was he combing it as well, just to get all the kinks out? Well, here's the thing. It was one of those moments where he was not like. 
He was like a middle-aged guy. He was probably my age now, but this was like five years ago or whatever. So like yeah. to me, he looked like a middle-aged guy, but he was probably at 40 or whatever, right? right? And he was still in pretty good nick, you know, like, yeah. and he... He was Italian. He was he an Italian, Italian. 40-year-old gentleman. Right. He was an Italian stallion. That's what he was Swarthy. like, though. Whatever you're thinking of, that's yep. what he was like. <laughs> right. And he's kind of... It's not like a specialist ball... Like, it's not like your contraption that's actually for that purpose. Right. Like, he's just using the the hand... Like, the hand Just being drive. resourceful, yeah. Right. And so, he's like... He's basically, he's got... So, hang on, it was a hand... It wasn't even a hairdryer, it was the hand dryer. No, it was the the hand dryer. Okay. Yeah, no, no, no. It wasn't like one of those gyms that where they have like a hair dryer. No, 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 no. He was like, he got on the bench. <laughs> and it, like he was, he turned the nozzle up because it was one of those old school ones with the, you know, the metal nozzle on the front where oh, you could turn yeah, it up the other way. Yeah, you could turn it the other, the other way. way to do your hair. Right. To, so, you could do your face, your hair. Right. So, he had put it in hair face model, but like he had perched his, he was essentially teabagging it. <laughs> And like drying his balls. And I was, I, I, I walked in on that. <laughs> and also kind of effectively blasting ball, ball scent around the gym. Like it's, he's creating a convection current of ball scent. I mean, that is a good point, actually. I had <laughs> not even thought about the, the like, friendly fire. It's the, coming the up, like it would come up along the ceiling and then just drop down on the other side I mean, of the wall. Damp. If you were, damp ball sweat. If you were stood like directly like on the other side of the room, just as the convection current of ball air drops back down. Uh, it'd be like a John Carpenter movie. <laughs> 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 yeah, but it was one of those moments, because I guess this is how, uh, particularly earlier on in my life, I don't think so much as an adult, I you know, but I think as a kid, I was certainly very insecure about like, appropriate sexuality or appropriate attractiveness to the opposite sex. So I th- yeah. don't think that's an un- uncommon thing for people no. to think, by the way. But um, I certainly, you know, was, you know, like uh, very aware of that. And you're always very aware of like, you know, wh- wh- how am I meant to present myself, you know, to the opposite sex? Yeah. You know, what am I, like, am I meant to be shaving things or waxing things or, yeah. you know, like, wh- you know, what what's it all meant to be like? And then you, I walk in on something like that and my first thought is... Maybe maybe that's what we're meant to be doing. Yeah. Like I think the main clue to the fact that that's not what we're meant to be doing is that he had to stand on a bench. <laughs> I mean, when you, went, when you when you think it through like that, logically, Matt, <laughs> like, you're right. Like I, I think if that was a design it's thing, a then point. they would have had at least one at like, waist height. They would have had a footstool up to the bench <laughs> and a diagram on the wall showing how to get on the bench, and they would have like a little foothold hold like in a like in a rock indoor rock climbing place where you could just put your other foot over the other side so you could perch perfectly across. <laughs> If so that could, that's, so could be debonair. While in fact, that's it. actually what they would. That's what they would need in the gym. If you actually, that was the best way to do it. Yeah. They, they just need to combine their indoor rock climbing wall with a series of oh, those hair dryers underneath. So you just get up there. Yeah. So you get to the top and you've had a real workout, right. and a sense of achievement, and the driest balls, balls you've ever had. Yeah, I made it at the top and dry balls. Now I'm going to be honest. Like I would never do that with a hand dryer in a gym, and I would never do that in the gym in general. Right. But I've been in a hotel where there's a hairdryer plugged into the wall of the bathroom. Yeah. And I have blow-dried those balls, really? and it is a treat. I mean, <laughs> it is. A- there's nothing about it that sounds unpleasant. Like, no. I don't mean to think that... I've been in a situation where, like... Yeah. You know, I'm surprised I'm I haven't, actually. Oh, it's... A, it's now that I, well, I... I bet now, next time, now yeah. that we've had this conversation, there's no way that next time I don't walk into a hotel, I don't go, well, you know what the first thing I'm fucking doing? Right. Blow-drying my balls. Absolutely. Well, if, if it's one of the slightly fancier hotels where the... 
where the hairdryer is in a drawer and you've got to set it up. Like, <laughs> I, I won't do that. It's a slightly fancier hotel where like they have <laughs> to send to a guy in to blow dry your balls. <laughs> you have to actually leave your balls outside I'm the like, room. Oh, how much do I tip? Cost you $32. <laughs> <laughs> they, they charge per ball. I think that's what's... <laughs> that's- I mean, That's who's getting I... one dry? <laughs> Surely it's dry. a pair. How often did Lance Armstrong stay here? <laughs> but but if I'm like, you know, I'm in a hurry, I'm about to go so out. So hang on, game. so you won't take it out of the drawer? So no, I, but I, if it's one of the ones where it's weird. the hairdryer is already just built into yeah. there and it's just there. So if it's just there. And I've towel dried, right. but there's still, there's still, you know, towel drying doesn't get perfectly dry. No. And I'm in a bit of a hurry, particularly, you know, if you're in... Like damper, colder it. climbs. You don't have to just justify it. Yeah, I think out I in feel California, like now you're like, dry oh, pretty you cleanly. Like, yeah. No, it's a it's a treat, <laughs> and you you go out and you feel like there's a spring in your step. I believe. I believe there's, there's there a crispness be. to your stride. Oh, I, <laughs> I imagine. <laughs> Oh, don't get me wrong. Next time like, you come here, not only will I have one of those toasters, but I'll have a hairdryer in every room. <laughs> uh, I haven't had sex around anything yet, but I'll still be like, oh, yeah, blow dry my balls on the table, blow dry my balls on the roof. Um, no, so uh, it, it's weird that you wouldn't take it out of the drawer, though. I think that's a weird distinction. Like, well, I think that's weird think, that, like, is it what? only because it's just because it's there? I think it, I think it's partly setup time. You know, like the time it takes to find a plug socket, because hotel rooms are some wildly vary in their it's true. convenience of like true. A plug socket placement. And Sometimes it was like they went, "Where would be the worst place in a hotel room?" Yeah. Hey, hey, guys, under the bed, like behind a drawer. Before we put all the plugs in, should we think about where the stuff will actually be in the room? No. Yeah. No time for that. Should we get those lamps that have built-in power outlet bits on, on the base of the lamp as well, which is really handy for everyone? I think what would be really great, guys, is if everything could be really confusing when it comes to lamps. Yeah. If, if no one could really work out if you turn them on from the wall or from Both. the thing or you have to touch it and it has three levels. Or they have different controls that each control like one and a half lights like a Rubik's puzzle and you've got to get it all into place. And... Why would we want one central light? Why would why would you have one central light like people have in rooms all around the world when you could when you could be lit by a series of waist level lamps that <laughs> project small spots of light onto different corners of the room? You identified one before that is very close to my heart and I, I it was one of those things until you said it, I wasn't aware of how much it annoys me, you know, yep. like until another human being acknowledges the thing that has been secretly nagging in your brain. Yep. Which is the fucking hotel rooms where the light switches turn on two different parts of the fucking, and it <laughs> just, makes no sense. Yeah. Like, I just turn... There's I like open, the little, the light, there's always one light just by the front door, like outside the bathroom, and then like a lamp in the opposite diagonal corner of your bedroom. And they turn on. <laughs> they turn on together. It's like, oh, you know, the bathroom and the kitchen come on together. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> um, I opened the fridge and that light came on and the porch fled up. That's what's meant to happen. <laughs> and, then you- and then there's always one button that no matter how time, many times you flick it, you're like, I do not know what the fuck this button and it you does do- something it controls some bit of it because it makes lights change but it's like oh no this i i always f- often find the one where you flick it and nothing happens and i always imagine that somewhere i'm fucking up someone else yeah. is not <laughs> this but- is Stephen wright joke isn't it where he's he had a he had a joke about the a one light in his house oh that didn't work that didn't and work. he and eventually gets a letter i remember how he phrased it brilliantly <laughs> far better than i'm going to because Stephen Wright. <laughs> eventually like, gets a letter from texas that says cut it out oh he is. Uh, were you influenced by Stephen Wright? I imagine because uh, I don't know. No, no, you know what? I, probably indirectly, like any of those kind of joke writers who've been so influential. 
Like, I was probably influenced by people who were influenced by him. Right. Same with emo. And, you know, I don't do one-liners per se, but I definitely write jokes. And anyone who writes jokes is influenced by people like Stephen Wright and Emo Phillips and those guys. But I reckon... I reckon I'd probably be more influenced by people who've been influenced by them. Yeah. Okay. No, I understand what you mean by that. Like, it's like it, it, it's like bands who don't know they're ripping off the Beatles. Right. Or, you know. I'm ripping off the Beatles, yeah. but, but, but with Oasis in the middle. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, man, I'm ripping off Oasis. Yeah. Oh. oh yeah it's that crusty the clown thing like if this is anyone but you know anyone but steve allen you're, you're, yeah, you're steve. doing my bit yeah <laughs> which by the way that's a little in joke apparently because steve allen was a notorious joke thief oh is that right yeah that was a little i always enjoy that sort of stuff i've been watching a lot of american on netflix there's a lot of like history of comedy and history of television documentaries oh, really? that yeah, on there, like, you know, I think it's called American Masters or something like that. But anyway, it's like, so I've been, you know, particularly guys like Johnny Carson, but, you know, a bunch of other, you know, older school, like people who are so much the fabric of yeah. this country and their entertainment system. So it's been... there's I'll find it for you. There's a really great article that's still online, like archived, and it's from the late 70s. And it's this, in something like Vanity Fair or The New Yorker or just one of those magazines... And it's this huge profile of Johnny Carson. Oh, really? Contemporary profile. Yeah, right. And it's right. just great. I'm sure it would be not too hard. Like, even if you totally Googled some of those words, it would pop up. But I'll track it down again and send it to you. In the, uh, in the one I watched, uh, one of the things that... Uh, and uh, Greg Barron put me onto this, so... Uh, I'm kind of going to say something that he actually said as well, but it's so it's wonderful to watch. Obviously, he was a, a big drinker, like you know, like Johnny Johnny or Johnny Carson yeah. was. Um, and you know, pr- uh, yeah, I would suggest from watching this probably a problematic drinker, right? But no one ever really says it, but everyone says it, right? <laughs> like every single person, like they touch. It's like one of those things where no one ever says he was an alcoholic. Yeah. But every single person who's interviewed about anything mentions that he was drinking. He definitely or that went he drank through phases. He... Yeah. And then he went through phases of not drinking at right. all. Oh, um, okay. There you go. And then Ed McMahon, his sidekick, was yes. a heavy, heavy drinker. Yes. And someone told me a while ago, he Ed McMahon is the reason that when you do TV now in America, they send a car. Are you serious? And it comes. I mean, back, that's quite a nice thing to be it's, the person respond. Like it, I, I enjoy when they send. I a love car. when they send a car. But it was pointed out to me. I can't remember who it was who pointed this out. Uh, oh, you, you know what? I think it might have been. I think it was DJ Qualls. Okay. Who's? Uh, I make at Jim Jeffrey's house because he's now on Jim's sitcom. But you know DJ from like Hustle and Flow and from Road Trip. That uh, and he was he pointed out to me. I was like, oh yeah. Whenever anyone in like the Hollywood system, like the studio system, does nice stuff for you, it's never really for you. It's because they've worked things out and found out that it's statistically a lot better. The amount it costs them to send a car service but that guarantees that you show up and you right. don't get pulled over for drunk driving and you're there on set at the time you want. The reason they have craft services and they feed you all on set and that's to stop you from wandering off to get dinner because if you're not there when they need to shoot your scene, it costs them a fortune and that's a lot cheaper than it costs them just to give you dinner for the day. Yeah, and, and if they said to them, like, if you explain to these people, like, oh, uh, you know, this costs us a lot, please don't wander off. 
that's not as effective as just going, look, free food. Yeah, you're like, oh. <laughs> no, I agree. But and apparently Ed McMahon was like, he, was, he had a few right. times where it just got a bit too, well, you shouldn't be driving home right now. And they were like, car service. Right. We've got a car service for you. I would be very proud of that if like when I died <laughs> or whatever, like my legacy was that like, you know, the reason everyone gets a car service now yeah. was me. Because that's also a good thing because like... There's the opposite that quite often happens, and I'm sure you've had it a thousand times when you get to a gig. I'm sure there's a lot of these stories in America, sorry, in Australia, and I reckon I could probably name like the two or three comics who are most likely to be responsible for this nearly always. But you get, you play somewhere and they give you free drinks because they look after you. And then you play there again a year later and they give you two tokens for two free drinks. Yeah. And you're like, who (laughs) fucked it up? Who fucked it up? (laughs) Which of them was it? (laughs) It's always. Yeah, it's very. It, it's uh, you mentioned uh, Jim Jefferies, obviously, because I tour a lot um, uh, to places where maybe the only Australian comedian they've ever seen before is Jim Jefferies. Right. It's been great for me for two reasons. The first one is that Jim is obviously you know a wonderfully talented stand-up comedian. Yep. But two, I am a delight. <laughs> you are Mister Easy. Right. Like it's not like I am actually a delight. Like, I'm fine, but because it's like, it's because the last boyfriend was such bad news. <laughs> and and I don't mean that in a bad way. The Jim's like a professional. He always does his thing. But like, you know, he, you know, he's Jim, you know. Yeah. And very proudly Jim. He's not too far from his stage persona, particularly once no. he's. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's kind of fun. Yeah. Um, were you a person when you were younger that was what what, what sort of like a teenager were you like you know were you were you like uh, into girls what were you into when you were a teenager oh i was an i was an awkward teenager like i mean what i was awkward for a few reasons like i think firstly there's there's a fairly nerdy awkward side to me in general uh-huh yep secondly i'm sh- i'm small i always looked young right like always looked like which I is still- which is good now very handy now. I'm in Hollywood, right. you know, and particularly because you, you you look young, but you also look like a man. Just like man. you know, but but do you know yeah. what I mean? Like, there's some people who never yeah, shake like, looking like a boy. Yeah, I'm not like Gary Coleman or anything. No. <laughs> <I'm not> like, <laughs> 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 or uh, what's the guy from play Malcolm in the Middle? Frankie Frankie Muniz. Yeah, yeah, because he was. He was well into his twenties when that series there's, ended. There's just a couple of people who can't, who just don't ever like look like an adult. You yeah, know? but you're you, you're good. You've yeah, got like that in I, between. I, I constantly. But like, as a kid, there's nothing cool about looking younger. No, exactly. And you get treated differently. And I think and think your behaviour reflects. I I think I was. I'm sure. To an extent, I was immature as a kid, because I was treated immaturely. You know, right. like, yeah. You know, if someone looks at you when you're fifteen but assumes you're 12 and all your interactions with people are like that. There's a bit of you that sort of, you know, it's a feedback thing. So I'm sure I was definitely a f- an immature 12 year old or sorry, right. an immature 15 year old. Yeah. Uh, you know, like, and the puberty hit relatively late and arguably didn't do the most thorough job. <laughs> <laughs> Came late, did a lap of the party, yeah. fucked like, off. Uh, yeah. <laughs> There's your hormones. I made an appearance. <laughs> you saw me. I was here. Tell everyone. Yeah. Can you? Can everyone tell Matt I was here? Like I know I didn't really get to have like a big catch up with him, but I was here. <laughs> See you guys. So I gotta go to another. Gotta go and find a twelve year old. 
I've got to, yeah, I've got to get, I've got to find one of those weird 10 year olds to suddenly make look. <laughs> right. There's, there's a 10 year old who needs to buy beers for his friends. So I'm going to go and have a proper go on him. <laughs> there's a 15 year old Tongan. We need to kill some children in rugby league. <laughs> right. I'm going to give him a full beard by the age of 14. Uh, that's actually a problem in, because uh, obviously in Australia, particularly in rugby league, you know, it's a big um, uh, Islander sport. Like it's really popular in the islands and some of the best rugby league players in the world, you know, have a, you know, Pacific Islands particular. Yeah, Tonga, you know, Samoa. And, right. Yeah. Have that sort of background. But the problem is that like a lot of those kids develop really young. Like so at 15 or whatever, they are massive and so they're just dominating like junior sports because particularly in a game like rugby league, right? it's mostly just about can you run over that other person? And if they're separating people by age, <laughs> right. then you, you've kind of got, no, you've basically got an 18-year-old against a 14-year-old. Right. You haven't according to the birth certificates, but physically, if right. you look at what's going on here. It doesn't really make any sense to do it that way, but I suppose because, you know. Yeah, you can't do it by, well, I, I, think, I guess things like judo, like junior judo does yeah, it by weight. Right, yeah, that makes sense. But... It's a bit, tu- a bit tougher when you're in high school picking teams yeah. and you have to do your weight divisions. Um, okay, so no sport. What, does, what did you fill your time with then? Yeah, I, av- I avoided sports. Like, I was good at avoiding sports. Yeah. I, remember, like, I went to a relatively posh school. We, had to okay. p- we were meant to play rugby, uh-huh. rugby union, yeah. uh, which I had to do for a bit. And then I managed to... Like, I've always had a slightly dodgy back, but not as bad as the letter that I sent to the school uh-huh. claimed right. that got me playing table tennis with my friend Simon for the rest of the year, uh-huh. which was great. You were essentially your school's equivalent of the girl faking her period every PAE lesson. I bled like a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> like, I was... <laughs> I was... Uh, so, table tennis. Oh, it's great. And was that like uh, you, you weren't just like blagging off playing table tennis? That was like your sports. Like that yeah, was that like was my games act- option, and there, yeah. there was like me, my my best friend at school, Simon, and like a few other wasters who'd managed to come up with similar excuses for getting out. There were there were about ten to fifteen of us, and it was supervised by my, one of my favorite teachers, who was a okay. physics teacher called Mister Blight. Good, who was a great teacher. Yeah, he I think and obviously also. Like looking at it now with your adult eyes, if he's a teacher who signed up for supervising table tennis, oh yeah, he you was know he's equal- a cool cat, right? He was equally after the DOS option. Like yeah. he, he, he equally, like he equally didn't want to be stood outside in a in North London in January, like doing something in ridiculous, the winter, like wearing, like- blowing whistles at kids who didn't want to be there either. Like he got to stand indoors and read a book and look up every so often and make sure we were still playing ping pong. That perspective is really interesting to me, though. Like, I've been thinking about this a little bit recently. I think partly because I'm about to turn 40, so I've been thinking about the idea that I'm older now than... Your teachers. Your teachers Most were. of my teachers. Yeah. And, you know, like, that. that is, I, I, when you start to think about that, like, and what, you know... Yeah, and I've dated a couple of teachers, and I've had friends Since who... you left school, or...? <laughs> No, now I stick to the pupils, but it's a—it's uh, just switched around. It's weird, but um, and I've got friends who are teachers, and I, like I—I won't—I won't name any names, but there's definitely been situation. There's been times that right, they've been doing things. That, we've been up at four in the right. morning. Yeah, and they're not grading papers. The tail end if of a you party. know what I'm saying, yeah. guys. And you're like, and they're like, oh shit, I need to be at school in four hours. I'm going right. to try and get some sleep. <laughs> you realize, oh. Oh, I bet my teachers will. Oh, right. Oh, yeah, because they're human adults. Because they're people. Yeah, yeah. You don't see them like that. 
And also, you know, you've got you know plenty of friends who are parents and of parenting age. Oh, uh, 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 my thing... girlfriend has kids, right? And, and you're like, oh, now I, s- oh, all those times that there, there's there's been a couple of times recently where you know like, kids have done something and she's dealt with it, and then she's sort of closed the door and gone. I don't know if I did the right thing. That did it. Was that you? Suddenly realize, oh, they're just bluffing their way through it as much as any of us are. Right. That's... But you have to put up this front of like, this is how. I'm older now than my mum was when I left home. Right. And that to me, I'm like, oh wow. my god, she had made me into an adult. Like, and I. Yeah. Fuck, I'm proud that I have bought some plants that haven't died in a week. Yeah. You, know? <laughs> like, you were proud to be able to reply to with my text, like, oh, I've already got a salad spinner. Thanks, though. Right. <laughs> I felt like. Made it home. <laughs> <laughs> got, got a salad spinner. <laughs> got, got the iron. Friends used it. It works. I got two, Mum. I don't know if you ever dreamed of this when I was a little kid <laughs> on that dairy farm, but one day I would have a house in Sydney and a house in Los Angeles, and there would be a salad spinner in both of us. That is an achievement, though. I mean, that is, that is a that is a legitimate achievement. I'm guessing the house in Australia you own rather than right. Rent. Yes, that's right. I so own, you own yeah. you own a house. You're, yes. you're you're far ahead of me on the whole being a grown up game on that front. Right, and two salad spinners. Let's not two forget. salad spinners. I let's don't not have forget a, the two I, salad spinners. How many I don't do have, you have a single salad spinner. It's my name, and I got two. Yep, I'm in two different countries. <laughs> No, no matter where sp- in the world you are, you got a wet leaf. It's dealt Mate, with. I can spin salads internationally. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, no, I've been th- I've been thinking about that quite a lot recently because there's there's one teacher in particular uh, at my high school that I still have deep set hatred for, and I've been trying to reconcile that because I don't really want to hate anyone as a general philosophy. I think it's wasted energy to have to be hating someone, particularly someone that I haven't like you know yeah seen in twenty three years but she's the only person really in my entire life that still when i think of her and i think of like her name i get a feeling of like still like childhood revulsion and here's the thing you were probably it. right like i'd imagine you were you, i'd imagine you must have been a relatively smart kid you're a smart adult yeah but the, you might not have been sat like i was i was intelligent as a kid but i wasn't savvy like i really lacked smarts no my but, problem was and like has always been that i have a natural, and I don't know where this comes from because my brother and sister don't have it and it certainly wasn't bred into me by my parents. I I, I genuinely don't know where it came from, but it is ever present in so many of the decisions I make about my life and my career and everything since then, which is that I have a natural suspicion of what I believe to be unearned authority. So I think that's a really healthy attitude and it's one that I've only, I've gained later in life. As a kid, I think I was far more gullible. Like, I th- and I think it is gullibility. When you look at... As a kid, I rem- remember thinking... There were teachers that I was like, Oh, teachers had to go... But I-, I don't think at many points I was like, No, this person's just an idiot. Right. Because uh, yes. adults now, as an adult, as, a, as an adult, you meet other adults and you go, Oh, this guy's an idiot. And in some of those cases, that person is a parent and is being an, and is saying dumb things to the kid, or as a teacher and is saying dumb things to their students. And you go, "Oh, that person is just wrong." I think that I was somewhere in between what you're explaining, and and I, I wasn't like I could walk into a place and just like go, you know, I'm not like, but I had it from a very early age. I've had a sense of when I feel like someone is just full of shit. Right. You know, and it's the reason that I've never been able to like, you know, uh, 
so, yeah, like some of my friends who like, particularly with the, often I'll, in Australia, somebody will like hit me up with a sort of like, hey, can you come and do this benefit for the, the Labor Party or the Greens or the, because, you know, because they know that I'm interested in progressive causes and stuff like that. Yeah. But I'm not party political because again, like a lot of that stuff, I like, I'm very suspicious of the, the systems that put those people in place in so those parties. So you'll do a benefit for a cause, but not for a not right, for a not movement. for an organisation, yeah, a movement, or something where you have to go support this thing. Yeah. Because I'm not that person. Like I want to be able to go. You know what? I hated as much when the Labor Party in Australia didn't bring in gay marriage as I do when the Liberal Party don't bring in gay marriage. Yeah. Like I want to be able to, you know, talk about the things that I find interesting. I, and- I did a benefit recently for it was like a, a real. I can't even remember what the party was like. It wasn't the Greens. It w- it was for one specific candidate, and I looked at her policies, and I agree with ninety percent of what it was. She was like very anti-war. Her her son had been killed in either Iraq or Afghanistan. I can't remember which, but she was you know campaigning on that platform, and there were a lot of other socially progressive platforms that she was campaigning on. But in the middle of it, there was one bit. There was like she, there was an anti-site. It was like an anti-genetically modified, but genetically modified foods thing. And something else, and you know, I I think I'm not happy with Monsanto as a company, but I think a straight across the board GM bad is lazy thinking and anti-science. Right, because there's also like there's ways that like obviously you know genetically modified food could be used to solve like world hunger and like you know, and that's the thing when you see when you see I think I think it's that same gut instinct that ends up with people saying really stupid things about vaccines or whatever. Where you just hear genetically modified and you instantly your brain just goes to like science, Frankenstein foods or whatever. Go, actually, no, this isn't dangerous. All this thing does is make this crop resistant to this one particular bug, which means that these people in Africa can have far more abundant produce and they don't have to use this chemical anymore to kill that bug, which is really bad for their water supply. So actually, this genetic modification is taking this chemical out of the food chain. If you're anti that kind of stuff, then this one's good. Also, you know, like sometimes like in life, that all or nothing approach to things, like, you know, which is that you can be pro genetically modifying things for good reasons and anti like wanting to draw your line in a a different place. And anti Monsanto being able to copyright certain crops and put in and put in a one-year life cycle so that they have to keep buying the same seed back off them. And that, But there's some people who like, are like, oh, no, 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 well, if you're, no, if you're for it, then you're for all of it. Yeah. You have to be for all of it. You have to be for that bit as well. You no. have to. Yeah, it, and it's really hard to be nuanced. Nick Doody did a show at, in, at the Edinburgh Festival about four years ago that I thought really was, like, shamefully overlooked. I thought it was the best show he's done. And... It starts off with talking about how frustrating it is for him that he sees grey areas because he thinks, in, as a performer, as a comedian, polemic is much easier. Much easier. Like, uh, just like, this is how the world is. And and what he did, he was like, I wish I had some, str- like, I wish I didn't see the world like that. And he launched into a series of rants and then switched and did everything in the first half of the show. He argued just as forcefully from right. the other side, and yeah. then all linked together and had this beautiful rapping story. It was a really lovely show, but the, at the heart of it, this idea that both halves of the show were hilarious and both halves were really well organized. Oh, sorry, really well argued. It was like Britain's shit, Britain's great, and it, I can't remember what the other points were, but it was like each of them. But it's that uh, that idea of duality, isn't it? That yeah. two things can can actually exist at the same. Yes, in a, in a complex world, it's entirely possible for both those things to be right. Some genetically modified 
science, nah, probably not a good thing. Some, absolutely a good thing. But also the idea that, like, you know, sometimes people, like, want to uh, say, yeah, uh, buy into this idea that there is one thing that will be good for everybody. Yeah. Rather than the idea is... Whatever choices we make, you know, in a political party or in a method of like, you know, you know, living together in a society, all those sort of things, there's going to be, you know, um, there's going to be a, you know, a cost like to the choices that we make, well, right? So when people say when they're voting, oh, I got to vote for the lesser of two evils. Yeah, you're always yeah. voting for the lesser of two evils. Right. Whenever you vote for anything, you're always going to be voting for the party or parties or candidate or candidates who come closest to matching your point of view and you reckon we'll do the best job of advancing the causes that you believe in but in a representative democracy you're never going to find exactly your point of view and you're always going to have that issue right which that i think in the past everybody accepted that that was the system right but i think now what the problem is that people i don't know whether it's through the media you know through your fox news and stuff like Mm -hmm. that of the world or whatever but people have been fed the idea that 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 is not the case. It's been fed the idea that you should be able to get everything that you want. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that's like, no, I want everything. I wonder if reality TV and the proliferation of voting shows has a respo- has a bit of that as well. Like, oh, we should be able to decide everything. Well, maybe we should just fucking do that for a while then. Vo- do you know what I mean? Like, just, like, we'll whack them. They'll just, they can just put every idea up and people can vote in. Someone I know stood for local government under that policy. He was like, he was a computer guy and he was like, I've set up a website where you can have a referendum on everything. And I thought that was a terrible idea because I do think representative democracy is important to an extent. I think we don't have the time to make ourselves sufficiently informed on everything. Right. That's I think the whole point. That's why we're electing somebody. It's you, your job to go and do that. electing someone whose job it is yeah. to actually read that shit and you're electing the person, hopefully... Who is going to best match your your interests and your view in your worldview, and you hope they will do the homework and they'll come up but, with it. But also, most of the time, like fifty percent of the people or more, like didn't get what they wanted. Oh, absolutely, like more. Yeah. Like if you think about first voting preferences, particularly, which like, is what you know, there is in Britain, and they tried to have a, they had a referendum to change that, and it got bullshitted out. Like the the anti campaign, the, the conservatives and various other right wing papers, particularly mounted such an effective campaign of bullshit that people ended up going, oh, this is a terrible idea and voted against it. But um, also, what's good for one person, even like... So for, here's an example. Okay, sorry, I've been fumbling around a bit on this trying to work out exactly what it was I was trying to yeah, say. Yeah, we still need to get back to your teacher and why you hated her. Uh, but what I... Uh, <laughs> people have heard that story before. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> I almost got sued by... Well, I'll give you the quick version. I almost got sued by her because I told a story about her on Rove's show. Oh, the TV sh- Like his TV his show. His TV show. Right. Because we were talking about school and I was talking about the fact that at school I had a teacher who said to me... Uh, you're not funny and you're never going to be funny. And when we were doing my show, The Glass House, uh, on Australian television, um, we were trying to come up with a name for the show. And my suggestion for the name of the show was Stick It Up Your Ass, Esther Cribbies. Because <laughs> I wanted her to open the paper every week and see that she was wrong. And so that was the anecdote that I told. Although if the show like if the show got cancelled quickly... <laughs> right. I mean, she would have been right. It would have been a bold move. <laughs> 
<laughs> but um, she got so upset about me telling this story on Rove that she threatened to to sue me. Like, and she even claimed that it wasn't true. I'm 100% sure that it was true. In fact, my mother, when the, when the suing thing went down, said to me that she remembered the day because I came home from school crying. Like, I was devastated. Right. Like, because I'd written, I think I'd written something for like a school play or something, and she'd, you know, and it was just. You know, it was... It was like your first flash of comedic performance. Right. And, and a yeah. teacher. Got, <laughs> yeah, but... And now, again, with hindsight, the, the number of times... And, you know, you're high profile than me. You would have had this a thousand times more uh, than me. Today. The number of times that <laughs> someone on Twitter will go, oh, you're not funny, or so, one audience member will give you advice that right. you're just going to go... I've had some people give me performance advice at my audience members, and you go, uh, hey, you might not have enjoyed what I did tonight, but... um. This has been my job for over a decade. Oh, you are wrong about this. Right. No, no. I'm not going to listen to you right, right now because you're a guy in the audience. You're a chartered surveyor with an opinion. You have not you like your view on this counts yeah. for shit. I think my moment was when I uh like when I bought my house. Mm-hmm. I was like, "You know what? I convinced some fucker in a bank that I'm good enough at this yeah. that they lent me a substantial amount of money." Like, <laughs> I think when you sort of see this one on Twitter go, like, you're not a comedian. Well, well I haven't had... Right. I've my had no... only source of income for this number right. of years has been from producing and performing comedy. Yeah, I've been a professional stand-up comedian for... Well, I've been doing it for 19 years, and I've been professional at it for 16 years. Like, you know, I've never yeah. had another job, like, you know... So stick it up your ass, Mrs. Krivik. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, like, you know that by the very nature of having an opinion or, like... Yeah, you know, going out there and doing this sort of thing. Of course, like I always also get up upset at comedians who get too upset at like at you know Twitter feedback or negative. Like I feel like it's our responsibility to also go through that thought process that you just went through. Yeah, and like if you catch me at the wrong time, don't get me wrong. If I'm upset in other aspects of my life and you say something to me on Twitter, I've blocked people who I think were having fun with me. Yeah, but I was just in a bad mood. And but also I've I realized when I was when I was about. 15 and first got on the internet i was that kid right like i was sending i remember i used to i used to log on to like uh, i was on um irc chat and i'd log on to christian chat rooms and with no level of sophistication not even no wit whatsoever i was just going like jesus was a cunt blah blah right. and and generally for the most part like a couple of people would take would take the rise but i was so unsubtle and clumsy and immature and stupid with it most of the time someone would just go Oh, for goodness sake. Like, it was just like, they, I would just almost get squatted away. Like, right. well, you're entitled to your opinion. But you know, was like, and I was but still that's, like, fuck, fuck, fuck. But so when I now get do. those messages, a bit of me is like, like a, a bit of me is amused and a, a bit of me is annoyed as well. And sometimes... Oh, I, no, no, no. I'm not... Here's what I'm like saying. is uh, It is hurtful. It's hurtful when anybody says anything yeah. mean to you. And particularly because, you know, you never... They never know when they've caught you. Yeah. But you've also... I think that we have to take some resp- responsibility as well. Like that day... If I if I am feeling fragile, even if I don't think I can put up with somebody yeah. giving me negative food... Because on some days, if I'm in a good mood and whatever, I'm very happy to engage with somebody and kind of talk through... Like, I've had debates on people because I obviously gay marriage is a big one. So, if someone doesn't agree with gay marriage... Yeah. Often they will hit me up about, you know, my opinions about it. And I've had quite long debates and polite and, you know, interesting uh-huh. debates with people online if I was in the mood. You know, I've had a couple of hours to kill at an airport or something like that. Right. But then on other times, you know... But I think more generally, we have to kind of 
I a lot of the time just say, this is not a world that I'm going to engage in, but I also have to be the bigger person and realize like somebody just, you know, insulted me on the internet. It doesn't, yeah. it doesn't matter. And also, because you and I are both people who are, are trying to make our career in another country. Yep. That's essentially just saying, hey, I don't think enough people hate me in my own country. <laughs> I want to go somewhere else where I can open up my hatred to, to a whole honest, new market. Nearly all the abuse I get online comes from when they repeat this fairly shoddy internet clip show that I briefly hosted in Britain. Right. Oh, okay. So what was, they, what, so what was the... So, so it was, it was like a show a, called RudeTube. It was uh-huh. a rundown of funny stuff on the internet. Okay, sure. It was hosted by Alex Zane for an initial Channel 4 special. I took it over for the E4 series, and then Alex took it back over for the rest because it was like... Right. A, like he, he, content, he continued it. So I just did these six episodes, and they still they still show them. They got a buyout... Uh, and they, I can't stop this thing, this show from coming up. Like once every six months, mine come back around in rotation. And I only know this because sixteen-year-old English kids get on Twitter to call me a cunt. Like that's the only reason. Like I go, like it pop, and also because of the time zone difference, it'll pop up at like four in the afternoon in Britain. I'll look oh. at it and go, oh, I guess they're repeating RuTube now because like oh. so I've, I've had a couple of successes with the response. Like my only real. Okay, tell me. Well, I had one where someone went, someone went, uh, uh, they included my at Matt Kirshen name, so they, yeah. and it, it sort of said uh, something like, you're as, you're, you're as funny as cancer. Oh, no, sorry, it's, you're as funny as AIDS, I think it was. Oh. And I replied with, uh, uh, thanks, mate, but you should know that some people uh, don't find AIDS funny at all. <laughs> Choose your compliments more carefully next time. <laughs> And that one, that was a success where he, like, it was a semi-success where he sort of, he says something like, oh, fair play, mate, but why can't you be funny like that on TV? And like, it was something like that, uh, which, which, to which the honest answer is, uh, because uh, an exec at the station Wouldn't took our jokes out yeah. and made me say these things. Yeah, I could be, <laughs> but I'd already taken the money. <laughs> was like, yeah. That's the truth of the situation. And also, it was my first time hosting a TV show as well. So even with the half good jokes, my delivery was still stiff because I'd never... Right. I'd never walked and read... I'd never read an auto cue while walking towards a camera before. Right. So already I'm like, oh, this is a weird thing to be doing. And and also in a show that I'm not entirely happy with. <laughs> it's funny. Uh, someone hit me up today. I have a couple of examples of this. Someone hit me up just today. Out of the blue, and I don't know why it was to say something along the lines of, well, uh, so-and-so many years ago on national television, you suggested that uh, bullying was actually good for character development. Do you retract that statement? And I was like, I knew exactly what they were talking about. I just had like a bit about, you know... And this was very much like a different time to what it is now where our awareness of bullies and internet bullies yeah. and like the effect of it is like, but, and you were, a, and you were a less cons- considered comedian as well. I would have thought if this well, was a fan younger, ago. like I'm going to say 10 years ago, cause I'm going to say it was on the glass house, but, right. but anyway, like a long time ago, you know, well over five years ago. And yes, I would think that I am a much more considered comedian about the sort of things that I talk about. But secondly, uh, it was a different time. And thirdly, the thing never encouraged bullying. It was just one of those things about... It was when kids started to be on leashes and, you know, things like that. And basically, it was like one of those old school sort of, in my day... Yeah. Like, uh, you know, I had used to have a ki- thing about a kid ordering a baby Chino in a... Like, and you're berating the kid, but it's not a real... Ki- like, you know what I mean? Like, it's a fictional child. Yeah. Anyway, but that was fine. Like, uh, something like that, I just kind of, uh, you know, happy to engage with whatever. But I have one like yours, which is... 
I've only ever made one DVD and regular listeners to this show know that I don't like the DVD. I've never watched it. People seem to enjoy it. I get lots of positive feedback about it, but... You do, is it that you don't like it just because it was like a different a different you back yes, in the day? Yes, that's like, exactly why. In fact, it was the last... It was very important for me to do because I used it as like a closing chapter of what I considered to be that part of my development. And right. I feel that from that moment on, I've been on that real journey that we all understand in comedy where you get to that point where you're like, I'm starting to find my voice and who I am right, and what you, really unique, uniquely makes where there's me too ma- I imagine we, like, there's probably too many jokes for your liking on that first DVD that take the easy route. Yeah, too many. Like, Way too many. They're like, okay, this is... Funny. This is received... It's well put together and the performance is great, but it's received wisdom and it's right. like, you know, that I've got jokes like that from... And I'm sure, sure there are jokes now that I'm doing that I'll look back on and cringe a bit, but I'd like... But there were definitely jokes back in the day where I went, oh, this opinion will do, without really thinking, hang on, is this my opinion or am I just saying... Right. And am I, I think, saying this because it works as a joke? I think that's a very... like, And amazingly, because you haven't seen it, but I think that's as an that's a more accurate summation of what my problem with this DVD is than I have ever been able to articulate. Right. But no, I get that, because I've certainly been through that. And, I, and I've even... I've even seen you go through that as... as like I think in the time that we've known each other, oh yeah, no, I agree. In the t- in the which is I don't know probably about four years since we first did a show together. Yep. Like even in those four years, which is like year fifteen through nineteen of your stand up comedy yep. career, I've noticed you get more more adventurous, more, push further. Oh no, push, I I draw deeper. I absolutely agree with you. I like and regular listeners to this know this is not a new idea to them, which is I consider that show that I I, I recorded, which I think it was two thousand and nine. And then I think that the so the four or five that I've done since then yeah. are really the only things that if someone said came up to me in the street and said, I saw you do a show. And this is not to devalue like I've been lucky that there's people I mean, obviously I've had quite a big career yeah. before that. And I'm glad that people enjoyed those things and like supported me to the point where I... But to me, like if, if I look at a true representation of the work that I do, for me, it almost starts from that moment. Right. Like, you know, that was kind of the old me. Even in a performance style. In this DVD, because like since I put the microphone in the stand, I anchored myself, I went back to a stand-up-y thing. Like in this DVD, I've got a headset mic and I'm moving around the st- right. stage. It's like, it looks like a different person Do you me. think some of it as well has been prompted by you... Sp- doing more shows in other countries. Oh, you definitely. Because cause there's got to be an element to which when you were playing, five years ago, you playing Australia, you already, you know, you're, you're known on the TV, you're known on radio, you're playing to fans. It's fucking easy to coast when you're doing that. Like, it's really right. easy to kind of, they're going to love you anyway. I would you play say- a big, heavy performance, but you don't really need to go, you don't need to dig that deep for material because you know they're going to go for stuff. I, I think that that, it, it, while certainly true, is not the reason that it was problematic for me because I always had a drive to be doing good material. Yeah. But here's what I would say. Is I'm that, sure you probably were doing good material as well, just not right. but what here's, you know but, you can do now. Yeah, but here's what I would say. And this is why I like being here. Yeah. And this is why people go to a place like London or whatever because um, I was not around people that I was seeing do work that would have pushed me to be more creative. Right. Because the problem was that once in Australia you get to a certain level, you barely ever 
tour with another comedian again. Totally. I, I was and th- so there was guys. I mean, obviously contemporaries of mine, people like Hilsey and Carl Barron and um, you know, Husey and like all these people that, who were doing great work, but I was never seeing them do that no, great work. No, because they were in their theatre and you were in your theatre. Right. In different cities. Yeah. You know, so I think part of it is just even – and. Even being around younger comedians, they don't have to be the ones at the top. Like, you're not even going to the clubs. Because often, I'll watch someone who's brand new and go, it'll just remind me that you can be funny about anything. Yeah. And sometimes after a while, if you're not seeing people, I think you're just funny about the things that you have decided are funny and you forget that you can be funny about anything. Right. And it, yeah, it's, it's, it's tricky, that kind of thing. And I, I've, I've noticed it happen again second mention in the show but i'm talking to jim about this because i know it's something that he worries about and so he will you know when he does like charity gigs or whatever in la when he's suddenly on the bill with six other headline comics that's how he tests to make sure he's still got the chops because he's because he gets worried that you can get soft if you're just headlining your own shows and you never and I would imagine, um, not that I, I, I've ever seen any evidence of Jim being soft, but I imagine because of the distinct feel of his audience. Yeah. Like, it's it's not just like some, the people are coming out to say, like, I mean, they're his people, you know, the people yeah, that come so to you his need, show. It, it's definitely a worry for him, and I think he's kept himself sharp enough, and he's done a good job of it, but it's it's definitely a worry that you're not testing yourself against the best. You're not testing yourself, or you're not even testing yourself against peers, because right. you're all... You go out on the road and there's just like a local support act who's maybe three years into doing comedy and then you walk out to a couple of thousand screaming fans. You don't learn a lot about being the best person on each night. Yeah. And, and when I say that, I don't mean that in an arrogant way because what I mean is often even if you did drop in on a club during that time, it was like a new comics club or whatever. So by the nature of you having been around for that yeah. long, you were the best act on. Didn't actually mean that the quality of your work was that brilliant. But, but then you come to somewhere like London or LA or whatever or New York and then suddenly, oh, you could be right. going on after Todd Barry or Louis or someone like that. And you're like, oh shit, now I need to be good. Right. But it also means that when you are good, like, and God, I've mentioned this a couple of times now. It really sounds like I'm fucking... But anyway, I had a great gig at Meltdown the other night yeah. and Sarah Silverman was on and Nick Kroll was on and Todd Glass was on. Like, yeah, a lot of people that I consider to be super really funny. super funny. Yeah. And I, you know, certainly had as good a set as anyone had that night. And those nights you're like, yeah, okay, right. Yeah. Like I'm in good company and I'm working hard and I'm like, you know. It's, I'm still like more than holding my own. Right. Yeah. So. The only reason I brought all that up, although you know, I very much enjoyed that conversation, by the way, because I think I actually learned something about myself, which right. is which is <laughs> nice. Cool. I feel like that was a. Some people are like, oh, they're going to be fucking. I'm like, no, I just learned something, people. You know what? I think sometimes you. Well, I always get fictionally angry at people who aren't even <laughs> it's annoyed. I'm just, just really like, we weren't why. thinking that. Why would yeah. you say that? Why are you yelling at us? Um, uh, the ABC bought the rights to my dvd right so the first thing i'm going to say is this it was never made to be a tv special it's a live stand-up dvd so i swear a lot like in a way that i i probably still swear that much but in a way that if now i was recording a special for tv i i would be able to do that and maybe like i might might still swear a few times you're like they're gonna bleep me four times this hour yeah right and i could do that now yeah but like a i couldn't do that and b i wasn't because I never thought it was going to be on television. Yeah. Um, so then the ABC bought it and they didn't edit, you know, so it's like it's not even the whole show. It's like a, I think they do a 45, like it's 45 minutes or whatever. Right, of and like, you didn't control that edit. You no. just let them pick whatever. Yeah. Do they even do that thing of 
cutting jokes in half without sort of thinking about, no, the only reason I do that thing is because of the payoff. And now I just look weird. For s- right. No, there. I, well, I, again, I haven't watched it, but I imagine there is that sort of stuff. Last, comic, certain, last certainly, comic standing did that to yeah. me with one. There was one joke. Which, it, what was the joke? It was it was a joke, and again, this isn't a joke I do anymore either. But like, it was an all right bit about being like about being booked to play an Islamic art center as a Jew, mm-hmm. and the jo- <laughs> and it was and it sort of led to this whole. So for one night only, I was crazy Mario. Yeah. Don't go for it. Anyway, that was the joke. Yeah, right. And then it had a callback later uh-huh. on in the set. Yeah. Um, NBC cut everything except for the setup. So it just went. So it just has me going on, going. Oh, this is this is the most nerve-wracking gig I ever done, and I say that as a Jew who once played in Islamic Art Center. Onto the next bit of material, as if that was the punchline. <laughs> like, as if like, that's your one-liner. That's like a one-liner. My God, so it just makes me look. So even I've looked on YouTube. Oh my God! Uh, and I, on YouTube, someone sort of goes, "That first thing was a bit weird." <laughs> and it was. It was really weird. Oh my God. <laughs> well. I think they've done that. Uh, they here's the thing that's annoying about it. They've played it a bunch. I don't know how many times they bought it or what the fucking deal is, but I wanted it to stop because yeah. they don't warn me. And then <laughs> I wake up one day <laughs> with a thousand with my mentions. fucking Twitter feed. And you know what? Here's what I will say: two things. Firstly, that most of the people on Twitter actually tend to enjoy it and tend to give me new feedback and even though I and I have to resist what I was saying before because when someone will compliment me about that DVD my someone will send me a nice message I saw it it's like it's hilarious I'm going to come and a bit of you wants to go oh this isn't what I do anymore yeah a big bit of me wants to do that yeah like a big bit of me wants to do that Stephen Fry wrote a lovely blog post about two years ago about accepting compliments right and he tells the story of doing some charity thing where someone came up to him after the show and said that was fantastic and he went, oh, well, it was rubbish, I wasn't very good, whatever. And John Cleese takes him aside and uh, and gives him a bollocking and just goes, uh, when that man came up to you, it takes a lot for someone to approach someone who's famous and, and, he, com- and he complimented you and what you basically did was called him a fool. You, you said that he has no taste and no critical ability and that was rude. And it was a lovely... Pe- obviously, Stephen Fry then gets a, a thousand wonderful words out of it. That but is... That, but that's the crux of it. It's, but that's a lovely sentiment, and I'm trying to remind... I've been guilty of that in the past. Yeah, often. we all are, because we're so self-critical sometimes. Yeah. And 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 th- when you come off stage and you don't think you did your best, and someone says that, a bit of you wants to go... A bit of you gets quite defensive, and you want to you wanna go... Uh, you go, oh, they're just saying that to be nice, but like, oh, come and see me on a real night when I'm really good. Right. And it's and it's a horrible thing to say Whereas that. The correct tr- thing to say is just thank, thank you. you. You know what I was distracted by uh, was a thought uh, when you were telling that story. Yeah, you're talking about two of the greatest comedians of all time, Stephen Fry and yeah. John Cleese, and a little conversation they had with each other. And 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 you may actually you know be able to say this exact same sentence, uh, but it's 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 funny to me that you were telling that story and I was able in my head to go. I've met both those guys. 
<laughs> you know, like if I, if you told me when I was 14 years old that yep. one day t- someone would be telling a story about John Cleese and Stephen Fry and in my head I'd be able to say, yeah, I've, I've a little worked. anecdote I could drop into this. Uh, <laughs> I'll tell you when I worked with both those guys. Uh. <laughs> now, I know you worked with John Cleese at Just for Laughs Australia. Yes. When did you work with Stephen Fry? Uh, they came out to Australia and they did uh, QI live tour. Oh, and yes. so they did a series of shows. So I did um, some you of did those. one of them? And uh, I got to do... It was the last night I was... Well, I did the one that was on the last night in Brisbane, mm-hmm. which I think was the last night of the tour. So we all went out drinking afterwards and sort of Stephen Fried... Well, it was like the way the dynamic of it was that everyone sat around drinking and then essentially whatever conversation would happen, Stephen would start talking about it and then everyone would just turn their chairs and watch for about 45 <laughs> minutes. We'll start the show. <laughs> <laughs> It really was. Like, I said to somebody the next day, they said, what was he like? And I said, I can say this. I said, he's a man who enjoys the sound of his own voice, but everybody enjoys the sound of his voice. <laughs> so he's just he's just saying what everybody else is thinking. We'd prefer if you were talking. He just agrees with the crowd. Like, oh. If they had a vote on, hey, who would... We're going we're gonna to take a vote because only one person can talk for the rest of the night. Who do you guys think? Stephen, Stephen, Stephen. St- it would be rude for him to... Stephen, your vote is... Okay, Stephen as well. Stephen, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. And he'd be right. So I, I'm, 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 I'm so bad for getting you off topic. So it's you, fine. So the DVD came out. Okay, so it was so broadcast. It was broadcast. It's been broadcast a few times. It's become an ABC tradition. They're now showing it on Christmas Eve. Well, I say a tradition... Second year in a row that they've shown it on Christmas Eve. They've not told me either time, which means that I awake on Christmas Day with, on Twitter, like I said, mostly positive feedback, but on Facebook, which is where I tend to find the demographic who know me from ABC television, where where I do my show, which is not as edgy as my stand-up. Right. They Facebook seems to be more where they are than Twitter. Right. Right. So I'll always get a cut, like I'll get some real, like, really negative feedback and I'm like just like I'm fine with negative it's fucking Christmas like I just don't stop ruining my fucking Christmas well you ruined theirs right (laughs) (laughs) and I get it but I'm like but also they're like yeah so I had one guy going well you just swear too much and I'm like you know what it was 2009 like yeah, I probably swear too much now, but like, yeah. why are you giving, like, do you know how many gigs I have done between that gig and now? Do you not think I'm different or better or more complex well, the, or more this, interesting or? This, this thing that I, this thing that I host that gets me the abuse, not only was it a show that I recorded in 2008, which still gets repeated, but also since I did that, there's been... I think at least five seasons of the Alex Zane one now. Yeah, right. So most people don't even remember that I hosted the original series. So now what happens is not only do I get the just general abuse, but I also get a whole lot of people going, who the fuck is this guy? <laughs> why is he briefly, why is he taken over this show? We don't like him. He's not the one we used to. <laughs> and, it, and again, it takes so much to resist going, um, check the date. It was a long time ago. Look at how the clip's on there. It's the- it's like and also it's, it's not Charlie my... bit my finger is one of the clips. This it's... is from this is from a decade, like half a it's decade ago. It's not my fault they keep playing it. No, I know. Like if you want to complain to someone, complain to them. You know what? Complain to the ABC and make them stop paying my DVD because I want that too. And my old agent who made that deal as well, like stop being an agent. I can't even track down the contract. <laughs> To find out whether I can stop them, it, like I want to stop them from. I want to kind of go. Look, you've got enough of these episodes now. Please, Please. stop showing my one. Please, because it adds no value to me. 
and all it does is makes like 15 year olds abuse no, me on the internet. I, I agree with you mine has stand up in it about Kevin Rudd who was our prime minister Kevin Rudd was our prime minister twice he got like you know, he was prime minister right. and then like Julia Gillard took over and then he was prime minister again this is material about him the first time he was prime minister <laughs> And like he's not even prime minister anymore. There's been heaps of. There's literally been three different prime ministers since then. Come on, come on, guys. Fuck. Steve Irwin has died. In oh, between, there was probably a Steve Irwin bit in it. Like, <laughs> I know there was a bit about Titanic. That's the one that really would have aged because it was an old bit. Even by the time I did it in my. But they've just recently re-released it in 3D. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. It's, they it's, remastered it in 3D. So suddenly it's the most topical thing in the world. I went and saw the uh, 20th anniversary 3D Titanic <laughs> and boy, <laughs> here's some observations I've had. <laughs> if you can just, if you missed it the first time around, like if you missed a, a news event, you know, yeah. like the first time around, like say a big movie or whatever where everyone was making jokes. Do you think you could go away, write a bunch of jokes and just sit on them for, for 20 years? Well, there is a comic in the UK who's a lovely guy and a funny guy, but he very much, his ambitions are very much limited to getting paid and getting back to his family in the pub. Yeah, okay. Which sure. is lovely. Great. Yeah. And, and he has one bit of material about one film and every single time a new method for viewing films comes out. Like, the only update he makes to his act is he's... Like, over the years, it's changed from, like... I think he probably first wrote it about seeing it in the cinema, and then it was, like, video, and then it was DVD, then Laserdisc, <laughs> like, like Netflix, like, H- like Bl- <laughs> Blu-ray. <laughs> like, all he's done to his act over the last 15 years is change the intro to that joke. To like, you know what was on the TV the other day? <laughs> you know it'd be what? great if there's footage of each of the iterations, oh, though. Be a like, if you could just have a little YouTube clip <laughs> of, like, the various stages. You know what I saw on a... <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, we should finish. Um, we should. Uh, Matt, uh, your podcast is called Probably Science. Yes, it People is. People should listen to that. It's excellent. Well, please do. I um, really enjoy it. So, Thank you. Um, we, we, we've got to get you back on again. Yeah, I... Uh, I I think it's it be again because you know I was mentioning before that I've been enjoying sort of dipping my toe into you know the pop popular edge of science you know yeah. just like you know the fun bit of it at this point but I think your podcast is really good for that because it's kind of a nice mix of like we don't really know but then it'll often get to things yeah, where you actually we, do know we try to with the balance changes and we're never quite sure whether we've got the right comedy to fact balance right sometimes we have real scientists on and. They explain their thing, and then the rest of the time we're bluffing our way through the news. Right, but uh, it's a, yeah, I find it very fascinating. But yeah, we tried to get you back on for the uh, the hundredth episode, but you're going to be, which is coming up, but you're going to be out of the country. Right, but we should get people to listen to the hundredth episode. Do you have something special for the hundredth episode? Uh, we've hopefully got a very special guest for that okay, one. Okay, good, very special guest. Although I we need to conf- need to double confirm it before we say anything. <laughs> uh, Fair enough. But um, uh, people can find you on Twitter, of course, at Matt Kirshen. At, at Matt Kirshen, and then we're both going to be at Sketchfest. Oh yeah, we should definitely mention that. What, you're the, we're there the same weekend. We're there the same the weekend. Seven, the seventh like, to the ninth or something, right? Yes, doing various shows. Various doing. shows around town, but like uh, San Francisco people check check the website please yeah and uh, I know there's a bunch of Aussies who hit me up who are in San Francisco who are always asking when I'm coming so this is when I'm coming so uh, uh, and yeah they, they really are good shows like we've we're both doing set lists down there, which we've done a couple of set lists together recently that the have been amongst two, we've done have been like, two yeah, of the most enjoyable. Three, the last three we did together. 
The two in Santa Barbara, I think. And oh, then, yeah. And right. the one at the UCB. The one at the UCB the other night. I haven't actually had a chance to talk about this because I was going to wait until you were on here. That was one of the best set list shows from start to finish I think I've ever been involved in. Yeah, that was in. one of... That was one of the best comedy shows I've been involved in, I right. think, where it was just one of those ones where everyone was... Everyone was good. Everyone was different. Yeah. Like, there's some really good people on, like, really inventive minds. Ben Glebe was on and Baron Vaughan was on. Yeah, Eliza Skinner. Eliza Skinner I had never seen before. And it's, I guess her... Imp- is she an impro- improviser mostly? Yeah, well, her, she, she she's now been doing stand-up for a while, but right. her initial background was improv and... And specifically musical improv, like she right. teaches musical improv at the okay. UCB, and she she's part of various groups. So yeah. is so fucking funny. Yeah, and particularly when it, she's funny in general, but when she starts improvising music or improvising rap, she improvised three raps on that night. The last one, she improvises Sylvia Plath rap. That honestly, it could have been a Flight of the Concord song. Yeah. Like, if you went to a flight of Concords <laughs> just... and they did that song, word for word, as she improvised it, you'd be like, yep, no, no I'm pretty happy yep. with that. She was very, yeah, she's very, t- and also just... I'd like to get her on the podcast. I'm going to see if I can track her down and get I her on the podcast. I will put you guys in contact. Yeah, because she does, like, even, what's really nice, and I guess that's, having come from the UK where improv is a newer art form and is less developed, when you come and see people like that in America where, even when she's improvising rap, there's... It's not just that sort of A A B B rhyming structure. No. You know, the sort of basic improv guys are like, I I I went to get a cup, uh something something up. And What's just, up? Yeah. And uh, no, like, she, she's she, got there's like internal rhymes and rhythm and structure she, and flow. It's, it's much more complex than anything Pitbull's ever done. Right. Like much more complex. <laughs> I say that with no knowledge of Pitbull's work. <laughs> I was like, yeah, absolutely. I fully agree with you on that. Yeah, you're right though. Um, okay, so we're going to do set list down there and other shows. So please come and check those out. Uh, my tour in Australia, that's the big thing for me. Uh, the Willuminati tour. Uh, it is on sale in Adelaide, uh, Brisbane, Melbourne and Sydney. The Sydney shows in particular um, I, keep, I keep saying this, but there's only two uh, during the uh, Sydney Comedy Festival and uh, they're over half sold already. So and I, I know that's not until May and it seems like a long way away, but um, if you want to come and see the show in Sydney at the end more, it's going to be um, awesome, fun. My first time ever at the Sydney Comedy Festival. Uh, if you, uh, Oh, I should mention this because the first time I've been able to mention it, that uh, my guest on Willosophy... Uh, this week, yes, I have another podcast. I don't normally talk about it on this podcast because it's rude. Uh, but um, uh, Charlie is the guest on Willosophy. So, yes, four episodes in and I managed to get Charlie on as my guest. So, he can't do this podcast anymore, but he's uh, he's on the other podcast. Some people thought that was my plan when I first started the other podcast was just to s- secretly sneak Charlie back in. Uh, through the back door. Through the back door. And uh, that's exactly what my plan was. So, <laughs> so your guest non-Charlie is going to be Charlie. Right. So, yes. It's, uh, so it's good to have him back, at least for one episode. So please check that out, Matt. It's always a pleasure having you on. Thank it's you very much for joining It's a joy being here. Thank you.